Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So uh, today I think that we're going to learn quite a bit from uh, the guests that we have. And and I'm very, very excited because uh, we have today a female founder and I think that uh, I'm, I'm so excited having having three daughters myself. So um, Laurie Torres, without further ado here, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Nice to have me on the show with you today. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, so I'm I'm actually I'm actually interested in 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 perhaps we can do a walk through memory lane here, Lori, to really get to know you a little bit. So, how was life uh, being born and raised in Southern California? Uh, it's not a bad life growing up in Southern California. You know, people joke about the cost of living in Southern California, but we pay the weather tax, and it's beautiful there. And so, I'm pretty fortunate. I've, I'm born and raised and love it. That's fantastic. So, you did your college, and then you did your MBA in Pepperdine. Is that right? Uh, it's not Alejandro. I'm an interesting story because I actually don't have an undergraduate degree. I'm one of those rare birds that I advanced my degree or advanced my career over the years. Everyone told me I would never make it. I'd never become a vice president. And I did. I'd never become a senior vice president, especially at the real estate company I worked at. And I did. And then I, um, so I had no degree and I then found that Pepperdine actually allows entrepreneurs to come and take an MBA program based on work experience. And because I ran a company that generated a billion dollars a year in revenue and 1,200 employees, they said, you can come get an MBA. And so I actually <laughs> went back and got my MBA without having an undergraduate. I'm an odd bird, but it's perfect That's for me. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, is there, is there like a reason why you decided not to go to school, to college, or, or what was the reasoning there? You know, it's a great question because people don't ask me that very often, but I just started life. I was young and independent right out of high school. I moved out, bought a little condo. I had saved some money and bought a condo and was just a very independent person and started my life and got into, um, you know, a, a career pretty quickly that I didn't even know I would get into, into real estate. You fall into it. I didn't say I, when I grow up, I want to be in property management by any means. And then I just had this great run for almost, you know, we'll say 25 plus years. So I don't give away my age too much. Okay. Got it. So, um, yeah, so you did, you did a little bit of, um, of work here in real estate before doing the MBA, uh, but, but just out of curiosity, what did you learn on the MBA? What was like some of those breakthrough moments that you got from that? 
You know, I'll tell you. So there was always this crazy conversation, Alejandra, in the back of my head that I wasn't as smart as everyone else at the table. And while I was going through the program, I remember feeling that same way that I am not as smart as these people because they all have degrees. And then by the time when I got to the end, what I realized is, by the way, I am as smart. I can totally handle this. But there were so many life lessons that I got through the program. And really, I came out with some very dear friends. I'm close to some of the professors. It was an amazing experience because I had, I ended up with uh, advisors and friends through the process. And then of course I learned, you know, some of the fundamentals that you learn when going through advanced education. So I, I would say it was a really great gift that I gave myself by going. That's amazing. You know, it's, it's incredible how we are our biggest challenges, right? So how, how we talk to ourselves and sometimes we don't talk to ourselves in a very nice way. In fact, I think I read the other day that we took, we talk to ourselves 50,000 times a day. Isn't that crazy? Uh, that is crazy. And it feels exactly right. <laughs> yes, I think I might be 51,000. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So then what, what got you into real estate, Lori? Well, so I started my career very young and it was in property management. I started off um, managing high rise. I actually started as the receptionist and then quickly moved into a property manager position of high rise office buildings. Then I managed uh, retail and some industrial buildings, even lovely self storage. And then I got into multifamily apartments and that's where my career really stayed was in the apartment side. And, um, and so I grew, I I'd have only been with three different companies my entire career. And um, last I ended up with the Irvine company, which is a, a very very prestigious high-end developer in California. And that's where I advanced. I was there for about 13 years. And that's where I really advanced to the highest level where I was the senior vice president. But it was also where I saw the problem that made me start my company. So it was such a gift there as well that I was able to, um, you know, make a complete shift after all those years in that business. Really cool. Because uh, Irvine has like over 3,000 employees or, or something like that. So was it that big when you when you joined them? Uh, no, no, no. The, uh, the apartment division had, I think we had like 375 people. And when I left, I had 1200. So we wow. had some pretty good growth. And then today they're probably about 1800. They've continued to grow pretty significantly. So what were you doing there? Uh, well, I was the senior vice president of property management. So my job was to handle all the operations. I was responsible for the P&Ls for all of the real estate. At the time, I had about 125 properties um, up and down the coast of California and um, and then, you know, responsible for the operations and making sure that the, the properties were performing at all times. And so we had a big team and um, it, it was a great job. I, I loved being there. I learned a ton. The company is very structured and disciplined and some people, you know, struggle with that. It actually gave me the gift to be able to go and be an entrepreneur because, you know, I learned a lot there to take that to my next step. And, and so then what, what were your biggest takeaways? Because 13 years working there was quite a bit. So, so if, if you had to like point down, let's say some of your biggest takeaways or, or breakthrough moments, like what would those be working at our, our, at, 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 how do you say it? Irvine. Irvine. Right? Yeah. Irvine company. Correct. Um, yeah, I'd say that some of the biggest takeaways are the, um, it's this, the necessity to be in the detail and to focus on the details, which is very hard for some people, including me, because my brain is more of a visionary and, and a big picture strategist than it is a detail person. And so, but knowing how important every detail is, and I say that because the owner of the Irvine company was so meticulous about every building that was built and every piece of plant material that was selected and the color of the buildings. And so having this very high standard and, you know, our bar sat very high and which is how I've really done it with my company is the bar has been high. The expectations have been very high. And, but when you set those high expectations, 
people raise, they raise up to that. And that's been, that was the, again, what I really would tell you that I took away there is that always have higher expectations. It served me very well. Really cool. So then, so then would you say that perhaps doing the MBA, because I see that the MBA you did in 2013 and, and that was, you know, right around the same time that, that you started your company parcel pending. So was the combination of, of seeing those inefficiencies while working at Irvine and then also being at the MBA, what really perhaps uh, triggered uh, the, the, the giving birth to, to parcel pending? Well, they were the beginning of parcel pending, yes, but I saw the problem while at the Irvine company. And so the problem that I saw was that, um, you know, people were shopping online at home in their pajamas and then off to work they would go and they would, our staff, our management offices were getting inundated with packages. And so I always said, I'm a solution finder. When you're in property management, property operations, all day long, your job is to just solve problems. So I'm a solution finder. I'll figure it out. And so when people started shopping online so heavily and our staff kept saying, you know, gosh, Lori, we need more headcount. We need bigger package rooms. I thought, no, 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 no. This doesn't make sense. We can't make revenue off of it. There's got to be a solution using technology. And so when I realized I had something, I remember one day I had to go into the president of our division and said, I think I have this idea. First, I had said I was going to solve the problem. And then I said, I think I have solved the problem, but I think I've solved it for the industry. And now I have to quit my big fancy job and go after this. And I had full support from the company. And, um, you know, they, I had been there for such a long time and they really respected me, but it was a big decision. People thought I was crazy because no one leaves their executive position to go start something new with, you know, zero salary. And so when I left, there was just this burning need for me to get the MBA. I wanted to do it. And I had found like I mentioned earlier, that Pepperdine would let people in without an undergraduate. And so I think the stars aligned. And so I wrote my papers throughout Pepperdine on parcel pending. I did all of the projects on parcel pending. My classmates, there was a few times where they were, they helped so much with parcel pending. We were in a marketing class where they took parcel pending as a topic and we used it for pricing discussions. I mean, it was really, it was the timing could not have been better to go get an MBA and to be starting a business. The only problem was I also was the breadwinner of my house. And so I had to um, get a consulting job. And so I was working 15 to 20 hours for this company in the apartment space, but it was pretty intense, the amount of work. And so try to juggle those three giant balls at one time. Let me tell you, I'm not really sure how I lived through it, but it was, it's like uh, equal to having a baby. You forget the pain. And so it was a tough time, but it was good. I mean, I'm glad that I did it, but pretty intense. So was there a moment for you, Lori, where, where you were like completely sure that you wanted to dedicate your life to parcel pending? What was that moment like? You know, it was funny. I, um, when I left the Irvine company, um, my family struggled with the thought that, you know, mom who gives us this really nice lifestyle is going to not have a job. And so there was some pressure. And so I actually went and I got um, interviewed for three different jobs. I got offered on all three. And every time I came home, I was so upset. I was like, I don't want this job. I don't want to take this. I really believe I have something here with this idea. And so it was such a deep belief that I, I had something. I couldn't walk away from it. And so I had to um, fight through it and fight through with my family so that I could make it happen. And I just That's kept saying, trust me, you have to trust me. It was scary. <laughs> it was scary. And there's no doubt it was, it was intense. I mean, you, it was like, um, a Disneyland when, um, on the Indiana Jones ride, when that giant boulder is coming down and the Jeep is going up, it was like, I was standing there trying to push that, that boulder up the hill. 
because I had a lot of forces that thought I was crazy, that who is going to do this after, why would you leave this great job and go start this that's so risky? Wow. Because for how many years were you in, 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 let's say in the corporate world before actually, you know, becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, I was 30 years, 30 years in corporate America, no risk, very steady, Eddie, consistent paycheck. And so to make the jump and become an entrepreneur, I, it was a big, it was a big shift. Quite a leap of faith there, Lori. So what, what was the, uh, what was the founding team there? Like who did you kind of like rally to, to join you on this at the beginning? So, well, it's in an interesting conversation because I had met a gal and we were going to start a the company together and, um, we got into it maybe six months in and realized that we weren't a good partnership and we couldn't move us forward. And so she went her way and I went my way. And funny enough, we both came to market with our products and both of us have had some pretty good success. And so after that six months, I did it on my own. So I sat down, wrote a business plan, got very focused to make sure that, you know, does this make sense? Can the numbers work? And then I was off to the races to build the technology and figure out manufacturing. So I really did it on my own, but I didn't. What I will tell you, Alejandro, are there are amazing people that will help entrepreneurs. They will not, you know, they will, they don't expect you to pay them. They don't expect equity in the company. There are just people that are out there that want you to win and want to help you. And I just, people just kept telling me and pointing me in directions of other people like, oh, you need help on that? Talk to this guy. And every time they would refer me to someone, I would go and talk to that person. And some of those people helped me and some of them didn't. And some of them are still in my life today. Well, that's, uh, you know, the pay it for mentality, especially the, the founders that have been at it for a while, they, they always want to give back. So, so I, I, can, I, I fully agree with that, Lori. And, 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 you know, it's interesting that you mentioned this because I think it's like over 65% of companies fail because of co-founder issues. So it's really amazing that you were able to, to really identify that things were not working, you know, very, very early on. So was there like, perhaps it was like the skill sets that, you know, did not match or it was like the agendas were not aligning or what would you say didn't work out for you guys? Yeah, I would say probably stylistically, we just had complete different approaches. And, um, I, you know, um, probably <laughs> candidly, probably too much of, um, I, I'm such an, I'm an inquisitive person. I want to know all the answers. I, I can't kind of haphazardly do things. I have to know every, the details so that you can move it forward. And, I think we just had such different work styles and personalities that it wasn't going to be a good fit. But Got I still it. talk to her today. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, we still have stayed in touch over the years. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So then, so then as you went on and, and, and you started to, to, to really work on the technology and, and the product, what were some of the uh, first, let's say, critical hires that you made? Mm, some of the critical, I'll never forget the first one. You know what you never forget, Alejandro, or the first big checks you write. So the very first big check I had to write was for $25,000, and it was a combination for the website development and the back end on our, uh, the cloud-based software. And I would just never forget like saying in my head, uh, this is it. I'm now writing, making the first big investment out of my personal account that we're moving this thing forward. And then I hired a gentleman who was a a younger guy, but had this great energy. I had taught a class in the apartment industry and he happened to be there and he came up to me afterwards and said, I'd like to work for you someday. And I never forgot it. And here it is a couple of years later, I called them and I said, Hey, you mentioned you'd want to work with me. Let's meet. Do you have any desire to join a startup? And so he came and started and he started, he actually became one of those people that was in almost every position in the early days. He's not with me now. However, I just had lunch with him or dinner with him a couple of weeks ago. And he's a lovely guy. Really cool. So then what, what ended up being the, the business model for parcel pending? 
So the business model, so first off, parcel pending, we do electronic smart lockers to manage packages. So, you know, the way that it works is just uh, the drivers, the couriers come and put a package into our lockers through a touchscreen. They find you. Once the package is in, send you a text or an email, and now you can come pick it up at your convenience. And so the business model is that we can either sell you the lockers to uh, owners, landlords. We're in retail. We're in grocery. I mean, we've really innovated over the years. When we started, we started strictly in multifamily, but now we're everywhere. We're in corporate campuses. We're in universities. We're in, you know all over. And so um, you can buy the lockers and then pay a monthly software fee, or we can we have a um, finance model that like a subscription model that you can also do. And so we have different models based on the needs. So for example, in retail, it, for buy online pickup and store, the pickup and store experience is not very good. And so now if you buy online, you can pick up in locker. And so you get this notification, you can go straight up to the kiosk, put in a code and now get your package that you purchased. And so it's just a better experience. And our whole purpose at parcel pending is just make life easier for everyone. And that means every easier for everything, whether it's the contract stage, whether it's, you know, getting your packages, whatever it is, just doing business with us. I want it to make your life easier. Right. And, and as you were uh, then building the business, how, how did you, how did you think because I, I, I've read a lot about, about how, you know, some of the initiatives to, to really embrace culture uh, for the company. Mm -hmm. So, so what is culture to you and, and how did you guys embrace culture in the business? Yeah. So there's probably nothing more important to me than culture. And I would tell you that, um, One of the things I'm most proud of is that we have won in the last three years for best workplace in Orange County. And those are the things that you just, I never, when I started the company, never even thought about that that could happen. And for our associates to say it's the best workplace, it just makes me so proud. And so the culture for me was so critical because I'm just a believer that we all have to work. And if we're going to work, why not have it be the greatest experience of our work lives? Why not have it be a fun, rewarding Um, mentally stimulating place to be. And so when, before I had even one employee, I had written a mission, vision, and value statements. And I knew that those would never be our, our missions, vision, or values because it took the team to write them. But what was funny is when I had about 25 people at this point, we did an exercise and we went through writing our mission, vision, and value. And we actually When at the end, it was so in alignment with my original one that I had written by myself. Now the words were different, but the meaning behind it was still the same. And so I think what had happened is over the years, we hired people that had the same passion for customer service, passion for other people, just being caring and considerate to other people, but also being relentless. Like we're driven. We are such crazy solution finders. And so we were able to use all of those um, pieces to say, this is who we are. We're here because we want to make life easier for people. I mean, we want to make life easier for the courier. The poor guy who has to go up and down the stairs delivering all those packages. Can you imagine how tough his life is when he gets home at the end of the day? So we want to make life easier for him. So the culture that we built has just been something very special. And we do, I mean, silly things that, you know, a lot of startups do. Like you, of course, can bring your dog to work. And every day there's, a, there's always dogs in our office. And, you know, we have Beer Friday because, you know what, you're an adult. And if you want to have a beer at your desk, have a beer at your desk. Just come in, do your job, and make a fun place to work and treat each other with, you know, care and compassion. And it's morphed over years. We know, now we do a lot of charitable work we do, but it, none of that is like dictated and I will never dictate it to our team. It's based on what do they want to do? What do they want to achieve? So I think that's the difference. I love it. And then the, um, and part of this culture and, and how you're engaging with your team, how do you approach, because I've seen that, that you guys do the monthly, ha ha the, the monthly all hands meeting. How, how do you approach those to, to make it really productive? 
Well, we do. So the all hands, we bring all, you know, 170 of our associates together and some are either phone in or a diet, you know, video in and others are in the physical building in our main headquarters. And so we will talk very candidly about what's going on in the organization. I've always said that I will be completely transparent. If there's any reason I can't be, I'll tell you I can't answer it. But we've made it an environment and a culture where people aren't shy about asking the tough questions. And I'm not shy about having the conversations. And so in that all hands meeting, we'll, you know, each department will give an update. But it's, you know, sometimes we'll go deep. And I, when I talk about deep, um, you know, we will talk about where where things are a little broken, where things are not working well, where we get to be better, where we fell short, where we were awesome and where we always get to celebrate. So we it tries to. I try to make sure it's very well-rounded and it comes from the executive team now that we all um, have the same, we're all kind of beating to the same uh, vision and the same mantra of who we are as an organization and as a team. And and in terms of uh, of really financing and, and scaling the organization, how do you guys capitalize the business? Yeah. So when I started the company, I bootstrapped my way, which, um, you know, that, that's, like I said, that first check was really scary. And then yeah, after I was in a, a few hundred thousand, it was even scarier. And then I had to raise money. And, um, and so I went out and I did first round of angel investors. And I, this is a great story, Alejandro, and it should hopefully, you know, help people see that there's always different options. And so I went out and someone said to me, oh, you've got to go to Tech Coast Angels. And then other people said, oh, Tech Coast Angels, this is an Orange County group. They're in also San Diego. They're in California. I think they may be out throughout the country, but definitely heavy in California. And people said, oh, they will never fund you. It'll take 18 months. You'll mess around. You'll never get funded. And whenever anyone tells me, Lori, you're not going to get this, you'll never get that. Well, that just like drives me to make it happen. Just like yeah. you'll never become a vice president. You'll never become a senior vice president because you don't have a degree. No, no, no. That's not me. You don't understand. I'm going to overcome it. So when um, I met with the folks and I, I got some help from some different folks along the way, and um, I actually, from my pre-screening to my money in the bank with my raise of 1.3 million was uh, seven weeks. It was un it was like the record deal that they'd ever done. I think I became the poster child. I actually did become the entrepreneur of the year from them because they, they needed that success story themselves, Tech Coast Angels. And so it was really a great story. And, and definitely then, with with the exit, you know, they can that you guys did recently, which we'll talk about in a little bit. You know, that's definitely yeah. a a good uh, badge of honor <laughs> that they can put now. So uh, on themselves. They're, so that's so that's great. So then, so then, did you did you do other financing rounds, or 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 what what was the um the strategy on the on the financing? Yeah, I did one other round. I did a strategic round with a um, a real estate company that invests occasionally in uh, startup companies to help in the apartment industry. And so it was such a great, these guys were such great partners to us. They, um, it was funny because I went in thinking I needed $2 million and uh, the CEO of the company said, you know, you're not thinking big enough. I need you to go back and think bigger. And it was amazing, Alejandro, that that moment. I'll never forget leaving that meeting, going and sitting with my team at lunch. There were three of us, my CFO and my VP of sales. And the three of us thought, we're not thinking big enough. We can grow this thing faster. So we went back and we said, we need 5 million. And he said, you're not asking for enough. So at the end of the day, <laughs> I ended up with a deal that allowed us to have $15 million. They were in different, 5 million in different tranches. And uh, we, you know, had a great deal with them. We renegotiated after a year and um, changed the, 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 format of the deal. And, but it, what it did was it allowed me, um, well, I lost a lot of sleep over the last five years, but not to lose sleep over not having money. 
and not making payroll. So it positioned me really well to grow and to have that. There was risk in it. And the the more I borrowed, the more it came out of my personal um, uh, ownership of the company. And so there was always risk there, but um, I knew, I knew what I had to do. And so it ended up being a great deal. And they, they too are very happy on the exit, by the way. I can imagine. I can imagine. And, and let me ask you this, because I, there's something that I really dislike, and that's that the um, VC and uh, the investment, you know, kind of like crowd, it's, it's, it has been like a boys club. And thank God, you know, things are changing, which is really fantastic. But did you experience any type of uh, being at a disadvantage or perhaps a uncomfortable, like during the uh, fundraising process, being a female founder yourself? You know, so there's a funny thing about me is that I've never really paid attention that I'm female. Like I never live in that conversation that I don't get that because I'm female and they get that because they're male. So I've never let that block me and get in my way. But I will tell you what was really disappointing. There ended up being 28 angel investors that invested in parcel pending and only one was female and she was a friend of mine. She wasn't even from the, the group, the Tech Coast Angel group. She came in on the term sheet, but it was disappointing to me because when I remember when I went to the screening and the big dinner that you pitched the company and the, there were a few women, there are not many. I mean, it was pretty much a sea of men at the dinner, but there were a few women and some of the women came up to me and they said, oh, we love what you're doing and we love, you know, what your background has been, but they didn't invest. And it, it was interesting to me that, you know, that didn't happen. And um, so I, I think that it's evolving now. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of women that are in um, groups that, you know, either, whether angel or uh, private equity groups now that, you know, are participating more. And I think that sea is changing, but, you know, five years ago, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember with uh, back in the day, like, let's say like 10, 10 years ago or so, or when, when, but now my wife, you know, and, and I, I mean, she was, she was my co-founder of one of my previous companies and, you know, on the fundraising side, she just said, just, just do it yourself because it's just, you know, it was just a boys club. It was unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, I can't say I will be candid. I don't feel, I didn't feel that, but again, I just never pay attention to that. I don't let that be a barrier for me. Yeah. And so I'm never, you know, of those 51,000 conversations in my head, that's just not one of them. But something doesn't happen because I'm a woman. I don't look at it that way. Well, look, I, I love it. That's the mentality and that's the way things need to be. So, yeah, uh, so I'm, exactly. I, I'm really, really, really happy to hear that. So, so Laurie, then now like uh, thinking about the, um, the company itself and, and we were discussing this, uh, the, um, the journey of an entrepreneur, you know, the, the highs are very high and, and the lows are also quite low. So looking back, was there a moment where you thought, oh boy, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to make it here. And what was the, the breakthrough that, that helped you to overcome that? Yeah, I think there were definitely some times in um, over the last five years, you know, where one before I had done the $15 million raise that it was like, okay, we are going to be out of money. And if we don't have another dollar, you cannot run the business. And that that puts some serious pressure. And then it, what it does is it puts pressure on you that you um, you want to negotiate and you want to move things faster, but you can't. You have to let the natural flow happen. Otherwise, you come off as desperate. And so th- those were pretty tough days. I mean, still, you know, I, I didn't take a salary for a long time. I felt like I couldn't because, um, you know, we, we, the company wasn't making money. And so, and then, of course, I started to put, take a salary. But still, from a personal perspective, there I had it all on the table. I mean, honestly, I sold my home and I, 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 put, I was all in. And so it was tough. I mean, it was very tough. Um, going home every night and not, you know, 
not saying, hey, we just made money. Hey, we're doing this. It's like, no, not yet. It's coming. We're working on it. And so the time that it takes to move things along, I mean, we've had phenomenal growth. We've had 70% year over year growth every single year, the last five years, which has been really amazing. And so I'm not saying that it was, you know, we weren't making any money, but it still wasn't real money. Like, you know, you're not starting to throw cash off. And, um, and so there, yeah, I would say there were some very dark days. There was one point where we had a challenge with one of our manufacturers and I was pretty sure that I had just lost a million dollars and, um, it was and that we were not going to get any of the lockers that we had paid for. And that was a pretty intense time. I will never forget coming in on a weekend, sitting in the office with my president and, um, like I, I think I was <laughs> curled up in a ball thinking, what are we going to do and how are we going to solve it? But you know what? The reality is there is a solution to every problem problem and you just have to work through it. And if you get your head clear enough and you start thinking, okay, what are the steps? What do we need to do? Put a plan in place. You can get through any of it. And so, you know, try not to be dramatic and just work through it. And that's what we've done. And, and for you guys, was there like, um, a turning point when walking back home, you know, it was, it was different than what you were pointing to where you were like, um, I think we're into something here. Are you talking about like pivoting a pivot or no, like, like about- a moment? So before you were talking that, that there were times where you were going back home that, that you didn't know, you know, if there was going to be, you know, money coming in or that if you guys were going to make a profit, but, but I'm sure that there was a moment uh, that you were able to kind of like tell yourself, Hey, I think we're, we're into something here. Oh yeah. I look, I, it was funny because when I first started and I was sitting at a table with a bunch of executives from the apartment industry and we were talking about what um, problems we were having in the industry. And I said, you know, we, we're going to have a huge package problem. And they thought, what are you talking about, Lori? They just hadn't realized it yet. They hadn't been out to their properties to really firsthand see what the problem was. And so I remember thinking like, there, this is going to happen. I, I see it. I go to enough properties. I know that this is, there's a need here. I know I've got something here. And so as I started, you know, talking with people and then, um, you know, of course, once we started getting our first sales, it was like, we really have something here. Wait a minute, this is real. And so we really can solve this, but you don't know. I mean, when you go to market, we, you know, went the minimum viable product approach because we didn't know will anyone buy it. And so you have to take that gamble and here I've already now invested a lot of money and will anyone actually buy it? Will any courier even use our locker? We didn't even have commitments from UPS, FedEx, US Post Office, Amazon that they would drop into our lockers. And so I just, it was a gamble big time, but it was, I, we knew from a, you know, time perspective, it, it would make sense. This all makes sense. Make it easy for them. They're going to use it. And so it, I don't know. We knew we had something from, I knew I had something from the beginning. And, and, and it's really interesting because the, um, competitive landscape. I mean, you guys had people like Amazon as well competing and, and you were actually doing more business than them. So, so what was it like, you know, to all of a sudden see, you know, yourself against this really huge giant on the race? Yeah. That may have been one of those, um, Oh my God weekends where you wanted to melt down and sell the company. And, um, and funny enough, we actually had a conversation with Amazon, you know, about, you know, they, they were interested in understanding the company, come to find out they were really just interested in gathering more information. And, um, though it was a, it was a scary time of how are we going to compete and with the prices they came to market with and, um, they're the gorilla and they're sexy. So anytime Amazon called a senior executive at a real estate company, they'd answer their phone call because Amazon's calling us in the real estate business. It's not that sexy, I have to say. And so when that call came in, 
everyone talked to Amazon. And so we had to really get aggressive. We had to really put um, a strategy in place to compete against them. But I'll tell you this, Alejandro, they actually made us better. They made us stronger. They made us smarter. And I am forever grateful that they became our competition. They also, what they did for the industry was they said, hey, there's a need for these lockers and you'd have to have them. And that helped us grow our business. So it was a gift. I mean, I know some people shut their businesses down because of Amazon. There's no way I would let that shut us down. Mm. Wow, Lori. Whenever I'm having a tough day, I'm going to give you a call. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> call me Alejandro. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lori, then, then you know, that's a really interesting point. Where what you were mentioning there. So, so you have this conversation with Amazon, and it seems that they're more interested on the inside and out of of your business to perhaps say replicate it. But when when companies do M and A's and or or perhaps you know they have like a giant knocking on their door. Like, especially for the people that are listening, how or what kind of tips, how could they differentiate between, hey, these guys are just inquiring to replicate our model or these guys are inquiring to perhaps acquire our business? Well, you know, I think it all depends on the integrity of the company. So do you, I want to believe in my heart of hearts that the M&A guys keep things confidential, that they know that there's confidentiality, that you're under NDAs and that they're going to keep it confidential. And so in the end, you know, I never felt like Amazon went and took my client list or we didn't give them enough trade secrets that they, you know, could do anything. We didn't give them our code by any means. And so, um, you know, I think you have to walk that road very cautiously, though, at all times and be very mindful of what you give up when you give it up. What's the timing of the give up of your information? And if you think you really have something. And so. I will say this was an interesting experience with all of my raises. The more I kind of said no to the deal points, to the terms, the more I got. And so um, I don't want this to sound arrogant, but I mean, it was just it was I think it was like dating. The more you kind of push back and go, oh, I'm not really interested, the more there's interest. And, um, and that seemed to be ha to happen in all of the deals, interestingly enough, including the exit. That's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that, that I always I advise founders when they're looking at transactions is to always be completely unattached to the outcome. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, that is such a great gift to tell people and people think they get wrapped up into it. It's just like a job interview. When you go on a job interview, then all of a sudden you get wrapped up. Well, do I want to make a job change? Is this a good place where you don't even have the job offer yet? You don't even get to be in that conversation yet. It's not time, right? But we get, as humans, we get so excited about things and we want to try to move it forward. And if you cannot get emotional, oh, it's such a better place to be. When I, with the sale of the company, I was totally 100% okay walking away. There were three different times where things got pretty hairy. And um, I was like, look, we can just wait. We'll solve that. We'll come back. We can talk in six months. We're, it's okay. We don't have to go. And so it was a great position to be in. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the acquisition of Neopost. So, so how did this happen? How, let's tell us, like, was there like a, a day that you decided, hey, we're going to do a M&A process or, or how did this come around? No, not at all. By the way, it was uh, 18 months to 24 months way too soon. I did not plan for it to happen when it happened. I really thought we were 18 months out. We were just preparing to have our first audit. We were preparing. We've really been preparing with the end in mind from the beginning, but I knew that we were still a couple years out. I wanted to get us to a hundred million in revenue. And so it was too soon. And so it's so funny because every week I get emails from VCs and um, private equity and you know, my, it was almost like an auto response. Thanks for reaching out. We're heads down, running with our hair on fire. Call me back in 12 months. It was just my standard email to anyone who reached out. But when Neopost reached out, they sent an email 
and said, we'd like to talk with you. We're serious about a potential acquisition in the U.S. And I wrote back, not interested, heads down, running fast with our hair on fire. Call me back in 12 months. And then they wrote back again and they said, no, 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 we're really interested. We, we'd like to just have a phone call with you. And because they were strategic, because they had lockers, it made sense for me to have a conversation. So I said to the president, I said, you know, Brad, let's go have this conversation. And so we had a phone call with them and we were like, well, you know, we could see something happening here. It kind of makes sense. And so then we had a second call. This was in November of uh, 2018. And then they, they wanted to come out. And, you know, I travel every week because I'm trying to grow the company. I'm not around. We, we weren't very fast and motivated. They were like, let's get this NDA signed. Let's get this appointment set. And so finally, by December 3rd, we um, they came and met with us in Irvine, California. And, um, you know, the poor guys in the first three minutes of the meeting, I, when they sat down at the conference table, I said, look, I'm going to tell you right now, it's too early to sell this company. We it, were... 18 to 24 months out, you're going to have to give us a ridiculous amount. That's not going to make any sense. I'm a businesswoman, <laughs> but I, I mean, there's coming so much blue sky. We're about to explode. It just, it's, you know, we, you know, to make this transaction happen, it's really going to have to happen in a way that's not your norm. And, um, but it was funny. We really liked them. We liked them so much. And two hours with them in the morning and two hours at dinner and Brad and I walked away going, oh, we really like these guys. And by December, 21st, we had a letter of intent and we closed by January 22nd. It was like crazy 32 day uh, sale. It was full of, you know, there was going to be a light due diligence. It wasn't so light. And so uh, it was a pretty intense time, but it was perfect because it was going on through the holidays. So we just worked through all the holidays while our team was mostly off and um, it turned out to be, you know, it worked out well. It was a good exit. It's a good story. Wow. Well, I'm sure that when you had that first shutdown, they were they were a little bit in shock because they had probably to travel all the way from France. So yes, you're right. They did they did travel from France, and here they were five minutes in, and like, oh, this is not going to be an easy conversation. <laughs> right. So so then so then, Lori, then then how long how long was that timeline from the minute that you got the email to the point where the transaction was closed? Uh, you know, I haven't gone back to look at the date of that email, but I'm guessing it was uh, mid November. And we closed January 22nd. So it was fast. Got it. So walk us and make us be insiders through through that day where you finally got that pen and, and decided to to sign the, the agreement. <laughs> uh, we took a picture. <laughs> 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 I do have this great picture that uh, Brad, our president, came and he's like, wait, you're signing the docs. We're taking a picture of this. We had him. Uh, it's a big deal. And so, um, you know, going through that process was just trying, we had to provide a lot of information, obviously, and trying to explain why we saw such a big upside and where the upside was coming from and, you know, what it was in our pipeline. And, um, and so it was certainly, you know, not an easy process and not one without um, sleepless nights. I think during the entire deal process, we, there probably was not a night that had more than four hours of sleep. And uh, every morning we had a 5 a.m. conference call. We were also interacting with France. So we would get up very early for calls with France. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty intense time. I'll, uh, I'll not forget it, but you know, you go through it and it was fun. It was like, you become like a deal junkie. It was really fun until the very last day. When I remember saying something to Neil Post, I said uh, to the person I was dealing with, I said, look, this is going to be the last item we negotiate. I am completely negotiated out. I have nothing left in this tank. We are done negotiating. Done. <laughs> we're either doing this deal or we're not doing this deal. <laughs> you know, you get to that point. But um, personally, I couldn't go through a six or nine month sale. I, that would make I'd have deal fatigue. And, and you mentioned that for you, there was like no problem in signing and walking away. I mean, normally founders have a little bit of a tough time. They they get depressed, they get, it's tough for them because it's their baby. So, so what was it for you? 
You know, I kept a mindset the entire time that if it wasn't the right deal, it's not the right deal. And we, it was early to sell. I really had in my mindset, we were selling in 18 to 24 months. And so to sell in, you know, the beginning of 2019, I thought it was going to be in 2021. And so to be able to not be emotional about it, it was business. It was a transaction. And so it was, what is the best transaction for the shareholders and the associates? That was my mindset the whole time. What's best for the company? Like if I would have met these guys and they were jerks, let's just say, I would never have sold the company. I would have been like, you're not a right fit for us, but I really like these guys. I, one of the things I really appreciated so much in the very first day they came out when we had the two hour meetings, um, I said, you know, one of the things I'd want to do is I want to, I'd want to meet with your CEO. I need to make sure we're in alignment. And then they sent me a, a schedule of, you know, that during the process. And one of the items on there was they had heard me and said, you're going to meet, we're going to fly him out and meet with our, our CEO. And so it was like, they really respected the request that we had. They really heard us and they were just alignment wise from a cultural perspective. They were a great fit. So the CEO of this uh, 4,000 plus employees company went, went to see you out of, out of that request. Yeah. Uh, came to parcel pending. Yes. And spent two oh, days wow. on a weekend and met with my team met with me, spent time with me. Yes. It was, it was pretty impressive, right? A billion dollar company comes out and spends time with a little parcel pending. Yeah. It was oh, really that's impressive. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So Lori, what were the uh, terms of the deal? Well, I can't share all the terms of the deal, but, um, I used, you know, in the, um, posting, Whichever you can share. Yeah. In the, in the posting, I mean, it was, it's there, they are a public company and it was announced that we sold for over a hundred million dollars. And, um, you know, I think that we're all very excited about the future and very optimistic. We have some huge growth goals ahead. And so, um, it was a, it was a great deal. And, um, there's, you know, some upside for our team and so our shareholders. And so we're working hard to achieve those, that upside for them, but really more for that. It's really also for Neopost. Like I really feel like we're part of the team now we're in an integration process with them. But the thing is, every time we meet a new person, we walk away going, we really like that guy. We really like that gal. And so it's really nice to have that experience because they're obviously look a big company. I come from corporate America. I understand the structure and the hierarchy and the politics, and I'm not feeling that with these guys. So they were a good fit. Yeah, they were a good fit for us, definitely. So at the uh, at the time, Lori, when when you guys closed the deal, how how big was parcel pending? How big we were in forty eight states in Canada. We had over twenty seven hundred locations, and um, we take about a million and a half packages a month through our lockers. So we were growing a hundred and I'd say one hundred and sixty employees at the time, maybe a little less. No, but right around one hundred and sixty employees, and so. Um, you know, and like I mentioned before, we've just had very good revenue growth each year and um, continuing to really to, to grow it. We, you know, I mentioned earlier, we started in multifamily and then the last two years, we've spent a lot of time and energy in other verticals, which include everything from putting a single family home locker and new, new home developments to, um, you know, grocery stores with refrigerated and freezer lockers. I don't want to sound like a pitch, but I'm just explaining that we've evolved a lot. And so what we've been able to come to product with new mark with, or come to market with new products and, um, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of upside. It's, it's a very exciting time. I will tell you, I think I'm working harder than I was before. And I don't know how it could be because I always said every day is a Monday and I work like a dog. And now I feel like it's even more intense and I'm running even faster than before, but that's, I like it. That's amazing. Well, what, what, what a run, no, I have five years and you're going on your way actually to six years. So, so I guess, uh, Lori, one, one question that I always ask the guests that, that we have on the deal makers show here is if you had, I mean, knowing what you know now, if you had the opportunity to talk with your younger self, Lori, 
What would be that a one piece of business advice that you will give to yourself and why? Mm, the one business advice I would give. Oh, I hadn't thought about that question. Um, I guess it's uh, just continue to be open or like, or be open to different possibilities. And I, I think of myself as a person who's pretty open and I take feedback. Well, I go out and solicit um, when I have a problem, I don't just do it myself. I go out and ask a lot of people like, what do you think about this? What's the best approach? And so I try to solicit that, but I still don't think that people are open. And even myself, as I look back, there were things I was stuck on that I went people said, Hey, you should try this. And I was just not open to it. So if you open yourself up to more possibilities, more things come in, I think. That's really cool. That's really cool. So Lori, what is the um, best way for folks that are listening to reach out and say hi? Yeah, they can reach me at uh, Lori Torres, uh, Lori.Torres, L-O-R-I.T-O-R-R-E-S at parcelpending.com. Uh, where, of course, parcelpending.com, you can find us at um, on the web. You can find us in, on Facebook, on all the social media, on LinkedIn. We're everywhere. You can't miss me. Google Lori Torres. You'll find me. Amazing. I love it. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Alejandra, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And congratulations for all your success as well. Very impressive. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.